Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, there's a must misattributed quote that history is one damn thing after another, but no matter who did or didn't say it, many politicians might attest to its truth. Like buses, problems tend to come in packs. In a 10-day period during the Obama presidency, a series of major issues came in quick succession, and it was up to the president and his chief speechwriter, Cody Keegan, to find the right words to address them. Cody is the author of Grace, President Obama and 10 Days in the Battle for America. Good afternoon, Cody. Sean, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, so when, when, notwithstanding the 10 days that you focus on in the book, was there in general terms a process between you and the president in how you go about crafting a speech? Yeah, there was. He He's a writer, uh, which he never let us forget. And <laughs> he always he always viewed, I'm serious, he reminds me all the time that he wrote his 2004 speech by himself. Mm. Uh, he viewed it as a collaborative exercise. What he wanted from us was something he could work with. Uh, and we had a team of eight speechwriters. Uh, we'd all work together, and we would kind of ignore the collaborative part and and try to get him something almost perfect because uh, we just wanted to impress him every time. But but he really did just want something he could work with, and he'd usually stay up. His best writing hours were from midnight to two a.m. Uh, and when you say you wanted to get it perfect, did you ever succeed in that regard? Rarely, if ever. Only a couple times, I think. Um, but, you know, he, he really was a good boss and he treated us with respect and he treated the writing process with respect. So we we wanted to repay that by, by just, you know, we we pull all nighters trying to get him a, a, an almost perfect draft on the front end, which, you know, as mm. you asked, was almost impossible. He, no, I mean, I think whether people liked him or not, he was a, you couldn't deny he was a fabulous orator uh, and a great speechwriter uh, as well. The, the, was there always was there often a worry that he might have an off day or an, and maybe that urge to produce a big centerpiece speech, especially about something very serious, that that might be a bad idea? Because if it failed, then that could do more harm than good. He did have a tendency to his tendency was to give a speech. You know, if, if, uh, if the stuff was hitting the fan, his user, his first reaction was usually, well, let's go give a speech about it. Uh, and I think it was pretty rare that it didn't serve us well. It usually served us pretty well. Uh, and we tended to trust him on that. Yeah. The, no, but, but, but particularly around uh, questions of race, I mean, he yeah. was very mindful that he was a president for everybody. Um, sure. Uh, and it must have been very difficult to get the nuance and to get the balance right particularly when people might necessarily listen to the whole speech. And as you know, social media things can be cut out of context and all the rest of it. Yeah, balance is the right word. I often liken it to walking a tightrope. You know, uh, he he never said he was the first black president. People could figure that out on their own. Mm. Um, but so, you know, he'd have different audiences wanting to hear different things from him. And one thing that might please one audience might tick off another. Um and, but but again, he you know is usually his tendency to want to go out there and speak and try to make sense of things and try to provide some sort of moral compass for the country. You know, it was it was way back during the 2008 election when uh, we were kind of getting our butts kicked around a little bit when he, and his pastor went out and said some pretty incendiary things, and it was mm. it was Obama's idea to to say, you know what, I actually want to go out and give a a pretty heavy speech on race. And his political advisors said, are you crazy? That's, that's not what you do right now. But it worked and people appreciated it. And often the, the most radical thing a politician can do is tell the truth that all of us already know, but we just don't hear from our politicians. Yeah. Now, the, the, the 10 days 
uh, uh, that you focus on in the book and just uh, just to kind of ter- to remind people it was in, in 2015 and there was a couple of Supreme Court judgments coming. One would de- determine the future of Obamacare. The other one was on uh, a same-sex marriage. And then there was the shooting in Charleston um, where, God, how many people were killed? Uh, nine. Uh, yeah, nine people were killed. Now, I suppose uh, particularly to do with the, the shooting in Charleston, was this a speech... Not as it turned out, it wasn't. But but you know, did you kind of ask yourselves? We've kind of sadly given this speech before. Oh, we sure did. And for for most of the week, the president didn't want to give eulogy at all. Um, and and selfishly, I didn't want to write one. We we had done this a dozen times after mass shootings, um, and we had a pretty heated debate in the Oval Office about whether or not to do it. You know, we we made a push on guns um, two years prior, and Republicans in the Senate blocked. Uh, vote on universal background checks with parents of a bunch of shooting victims who lost their children watching from the gallery. And that was about as cynical as I've ever seen President Obama. You know, he said after, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speak again the next time this happens. Um, The thing that changed things this week was the week of the book was the, the families of the victims in Charleston all went to the killer's arraignment and forgave him one by one, which Mm. was extraordinary. It Mm. was, it was not something my faith taught me to do. Um, and that sort of changed the way we all walked that week. And, and the president said, you know, this gets back to your question of if uh, he, there were times he didn't want to speak. He he said, all right, if we're going to go do this, I want to talk about guns. I want to talk about race. I want to talk about the Confederate flag. And I want to wrap it all up in grace. <laughs> he pointed at me and said, all right, pour a drink and let it rip. And I just looked at him and I was like, are you kidding? That That's all? Um but he jumped in on this one, and I'm, I'm pretty honest about it in the book. I gave him a draft the night before the eulogy. Uh, this is day nine of the book. And he called me back into the White House at 11 p.m. Uh, I'd had three days to write it. He rewrote half of it by hand in three hours. And this gets back to the idea that he's a good boss, and we wanted to get him something to make him happy. Because he could have you know, he could have just told me I, I screwed up. Uh, I'll find somebody who can do this if you can't. But instead, he's, I apologized. And he said, look, brother, we're collaborators. You gave me what I needed to work with here. Uh, you'll see a bunch of your work and what I rewrote. And when you've been thinking about race for 40 years, you'll know what you want to say, too. Yeah. And it, it, did it become easier or, or, or always the same level of difficulty? Because I suppose, in a way, you had to project yourself into the mind of Barack Obama. Notwithstanding, he's a man that you'd know well and, and you'd known since before the presidency. But did that come with its difficulty sometimes? You know, it never felt like it got any easier, um, even though I know it did. It's like anything else. Once you do it long enough, uh, it becomes kind of routine. But, you know, I was certainly better by the end of the eight years in the White House uh, than I was in the beginning. Um, But even then, it's still it it always felt like the bar just kept getting higher and higher um, for his biggest speeches. And and, uh, he asked me to stick around with it for four years after the White House. And that that never it still never really went away. Yeah. Now, the. the I assume the title comes from from that particular speech, uh, the Charleston speech, when uh, he actually used song uh, rather than uh, just spoken words. Yeah, and he that was his idea too. He'd added the lyrics to "Amazing Grace" overnight. Uh, he basically where my draft ended, he cut everything out after that. My draft ended with the words "Amazing Grace." And he added the lyrics, and on the final morning uh, of the book, day ten was when the Supreme Court found a right to marriage equality in our Constitution. Um, so there were kind of these scenes of joy in the West Wing among a bunch of our colleagues who were gay, uh, but also around the country. And um, but he was still mindful that he had to go eulogize um, a black pastor who'd been murdered by a white supremacist who said he wanted to start a race war. And so 
there were a lot of mixed emotions swirling around that day, but but the way that we could unfold it, beginning with the grace that those families showed, um, kind of convinced him to sing. And so we were, we we boarded the helicopter on the south lawn of the White House about five minutes after he finished speaking on marriage equality, and we, we flew to Andrews Air Force Base to get on Air Force Air Force One, and he handed me back the third draft of the speech he'd been working on in the flight, and he said, you know, if it feels right, I might sing it. Hmm. Um, and, and typically, our reaction is to factor in risk. You know, is this a good idea or a bad idea? I hadn't slept in three days. So I just kind of looked at him and said, you do you, man. And, uh, you know, he knew what kind of what kind of people would be at this uh, memorial service. He knew it'd be a black church service. And he knew that they'd be there to catch him and to sing along with him. Uh, and it was it was really a pretty special moment at the end of a long 10 days. Cody, thank you very much for speaking with us today. That was Cody Keegan there. The name of his book is Grace, President Obama and 10 Days in the Battle for America. You are listening. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.